Good morning. Well, how did we get to a place where when you read statements like that, that we took off of recent headlines, it scares you and it makes fear kind of race through your heart. You know, there are a lot of people who say they trust in God, but the reality is when things don't look so good from an economic or even relational side, all of a sudden that trust gets transferred off of God onto things that were never meant to fill us up. In 1861, they began talking about putting in God we trust on our money. It all started from a minister in Pennsylvania who wrote the Secretary of the Treasury and asked him this. He said, Dear Sir, you're about to submit your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. And here's the response he got. Dear sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God, or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. And it took about a hundred years before it fully showed up on our money. Pull any bill out and right on the back it says, In God we trust. And in this series, starting today, in God we trust, we're asking more of a question than we are making a statement. Because when I look around, I see a lot of people trusting in other things besides God. See, it's easy to say, oh, I trust in God. Oh, I trust Him. I I believe in Him. I trust Him. And then all of a sudden, things start to wobble in life. Or you watch a few news reports that Wall Street's not doing what it used to, or the real estate's not doing what it's used to, or maybe you're in risk of losing your job. And then all of a sudden, the trust goes away from God to things that were never meant to fill us up. I really believe that the statement on the back of our money is hypocritical. By our nation, because do we really trust in God? I mean, watch the news and think, really, do we trust in God? If we trusted in God, it wouldn't look so bad. Things wouldn't look so bad like when you just turn it on and start going, oh no, things are bad. Just go home today. Well, don't. But if you did and went home today and turned it on, all of a sudden you're going to feel bad too because you're listening to people who don't have their trust where it's supposed to be. And then it's written right on the back of our currency, which ends up being hypocritical because somewhere along the line that trust got transferred from God to what we said we used to not trust in. And now the trust is in what God has provided for us rather than in God as our provider. It's common. People have dealt with this forever. How do we not trust in the things God provides, but trust in God? In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, there's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, please take one. Just keep the ushers. Give those out every week because we believe the words in there are true. And if you read them, apply them to your life, you're going to know God better. So please raise your hand, take one, and uh, read along. If you want to read along on the screen, or it's page 442 in those Bibles that they're handing out. Just let them know that Bible's yours to keep. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says this about trust. And if we could just get this one verse, if there's one verse that you 
etch into your brain and really remember and really put into your life, let it be this one. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. A lot of people today are living crooked paths because the trust is not in the right place. When God says, do you want a straight path? Yes, I want a straight path. I want understanding. Well, don't trust in your understanding. Trust in God's. And He will be the one to straighten your paths. The problem is, many of us, and I've done this, I try to find my own path. I'm just going to find my own way. It's all good. I'm going to do it myself. And we do, by doing that, we end up trusting in our path, which ends up crooked. A lot of people get to a place in life where it's like, I'm lost. I mean, how did we get to that place? That's what we're answering in this first week of this short three-week series. How did we get here? How did we get to where our trust is not where it's supposed to be? Then next week, how do we get out? How do we, how do we put our trust in the right place? And then the last week is, how do we make sure we never get back there again? Because a lot of people, maybe even in this room right now, are dealing with feeling lost. Maybe it's because of something you did or because of something that, that somebody else did to you, but a lot of people are dealing with feeling like I'm lost. I mean, maybe you're lost relationally or maybe you're lost vocationally. A lot of people today are worried because they're lost financially. Because you had this idea in mind of how you wanted things to work, how you wanted things to be from, from a career perspective or maybe a relational perspective. And then one day you look up and you thought you were going to end up over there and you end up and it's like, how did I get here? How did I get to where my trust is not in the right place? How did I get to where people don't trust me? How did I get to where people question my integrity? How did we get to where our relationship is in the toilet? How did we get here? We, you got, if you're there, you got there by focusing on the wrong things and not listening to God when, it, when he says, trust in me with all your heart. Stop trying to do it all on your own. If you want to walk a straight path, trust in me to do it. And yet person after person after person ends up waking up somewhere in life, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe even older than that and think, I'm lost. At our house, we have this little white dog. She's a Bichon named Zoe. And I love Zoe, but only because I love my children. That's the only reason. Zoe is not very smart. She's really not a bright dog. With, with a box of Cheerios, I could lead this dog anywhere I wanted it to go. I mean, I just experiment sometimes and think, well, she go up and down the steps like eight times, and she will, up and down, up and down, getting Cheerio after Cheerio. Pays no attention to her surroundings, just say, I got to get the next Cheerio. Oh, I got to get the next Cheerio. I got to get the next thing. I mean, I could guide her off the end of a cliff that I've, and I've thought about it, to be honest. I'll just repent. <laughs> or in the middle of the road with these Cheerios. I wouldn't do that. I would want to, but I wouldn't do it. She would do anything just to get the next one. And a lot of people live their lives just going for the next thing. Never think, she's not thinking, there could be a cliff up there. I better look up and see where I'm going. Maybe, you know, my master's going to lead me into some danger. Never would think about that. She just think about the next Cheerio. And a lot of people go through life just like that. No different than my dog Zoe, just looking for the next thing. 
And if I could just consume this next thing, then everything's going to be okay. If I can just consume this next thing, then everything's going to be okay. Not looking out there where you thought you wanted to go. And anywhere along the line, you can get off track. And now you're going in the wrong direction. But you're so focused on consumption and so focused on the next thing you think is going to make you feel good. You look up one day and think, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen? I started out so great back there, but now the thing I wanted to consume consumes me. And I'm lost. I don't know where to go. And I can't believe I'm here. You know, that's nothing new. People have been doing this for thousands of years. There's something in humans that make us believe that things that were never meant to fill us up can fill us up. So it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing until we get off track. If you read the Bible at all, you start reading in the book of Genesis and you start to read about these people known as the Israelites, God's chosen people, and how God found them in Egyptian slavery. And God sent Moses to let them to, to convince Pharaoh, the Egyptian leader, to let the people out of Egypt, to let them go so they could go to this promised land that God had promised his people that they would inherit and inhabit. And Moses gets them, and finally, after, after debate, after debate, after asking, 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 finally they get let go. And they march out into the desert. Pharaoh changes his mind, and he goes to wipe them off the face of the earth. This is a couple of million people now. And they're walking into the desert. They come up to the sea. You probably know the scene. God splits open the sea, which I believe really happened. They walk through, and then the sea closes up on their enemies, and God provided. And then they get there on the other side, and it's like, okay, what now? We don't have any food. All the, all the food and the crops, all that's back, back in Egypt. So what does God do? He provides for them. God provides for them by, by having manna fall down from heaven, and they just can go outside, fall down, and start eating. They don't even have to do anything. Just if you can chew, you know, you get food. It's free. And then, and then they get upset because, well, God, it's just kind of like bread. It's sugary, honey stuff that falls down from heaven. Could we get a little meat? You know what I'm saying? Like to have a steak. So God provides. And read this in the Bible. It, this is paraphrased, but he really does provide this. He provides uh, quail who, that just fall out of the sky. They don't have to hunt for it. They just walk out and dead birds are falling out of the sky ready to eat. And they get fed. And God provides for them. Wouldn't you think when a God does that much for you time after time after time, you would say, God, you just say the word. I trust you. Whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. However you want me to change my life and adjust it, that's what I'll do. Because God, I trust you. You gave us guidance. You gave us deliverance. You fed us. We trust you. But like all humans tend to do, they got off track and they were lost. In Exodus 32, listen to this. It's not on the screen, just listen as I read. Beginning at verse 1. This is when Moses goes off on the mountain to meet with God, the burning bush, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff you've probably seen on TV. Beginning in verse 32, here's what's going on while Moses is up meeting with God. Here's what they're doing. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses who brought us up at, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron answered, "Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me." So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. 
He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are our gods who brought us up out of Egypt. They were lost. How in the world did they get to the place where they had trusted in God, they had watched these miracles, this amazing stuff happen in front of them, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, make, make uh, our gold earrings into a, a calf and let's dance around it. And, and, and they had to say, well, that makes perfect sense. Well, I understand, why not? You know, so they just start doing that, and God gets really upset because they're really off track. And God goes to Moses and said, that's it, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. You know, I trusted in them, and, and God's got to be thinking, that's the dumbest group of people. I think, you know, why would they think that makes sense? They were completely lost. And you know the thing about getting lost? You, you don't plan to get lost. Anybody plan to get in the car and say, hey, honey, let's get lost today. Let's just drive, you know. You know, no matter what your sense of direction is, you don't plan on it. You may expect it, but you don't plan on it. And, and, and we don't plan to get lost. Lost is something you just look up and realize, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I made a wrong turn. Have you made any wrong turns? Looked up and thought, I'm lost. Maybe you thought you'd be one place and you're at another. Have you been like Zoe and had your head down consuming so much that all of a sudden you look up, you watch something on the news, you hear something about the stock market or whatever, and then fear goes through your hearts? When that happens, I believe we're lost. So how did those Israelite people get to where they thought it would be a good idea to make a golden calf and dance around it saying, this is God? They got there because of one thing, the same way we got where we are today. They started trusting in the provision more than the provider. God had provided for them time after time after time. And they began to trust in this provision. They had all this gold. And all of a sudden it was like, you know what? Let's worship that for a while. They were disappointed. They were a little bit confused. Things didn't, didn't make sense to them. So all of a sudden the trust transfers off of the provider onto the provision. And I believe that's what's going on today. Too many people transferred away from this statement on the back that says, in God we trust, and said, no, no, no. I like what the front says. If I can just get enough of these, if I can get enough of these, then things will be great. If I can just get the next bunch and the next bunch and, and keep stacking it up and adding it up, if that happens, okay, God, then I'll trust you. No. Nope. God says, trust in me. Not in the things I've made, not in the provision. You know, the, these Israelite people, they were, they were really blessed by God in a big way. Huge. And, and somehow, even when they got into the promised land, many, many years later, God said, be careful. When you get to this promised land, you're going to have wealth like you never expected. Anybody have more wealth than your parents? Your parents look and go, well, you make what? How much? Think of your grandparents. So we were telling the Israelites, you, you'll have wealth you never expected. You, your crops are always going to be a bumper crop. The stock market's always going to be above 10000 Wouldn't that be cool? And, 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 and God says to them, but be careful. When you get there, you will have a tendency to trust in yourself and say, look at what I've done. And God says, it is I who give, who, who's given you the ability 
to produce the wealth that you have. So any amount of wealth you've got, God gave you the ability to do it. It's not yours. God gave you that ability. And somewhere along the line, people were having a difficult time figuring out where they are. Well, maybe the trust got transferred off the God who provides to his provision. And then all of a sudden, fear comes into your heart. See, the things that God provides for us were never meant to fill us up. I mean, that, that will leave you empty 100% of the time. They're meant to enjoy, they're meant to be blessed by, but never to fill us up. Never to be the thing that, that makes us feel like I'm so accomplished because I've got so much stuff. God says, that's not the right way to look at it. I've blessed you, I've given the, you the ability to produce wealth. Trust in me. I am where your trust needs to be. When I trust in the provision more than the provider, several things happen. The first one is, big indicator in my life, if I'm trusting in the provision of the provider. If you want to give yourself a little self-test today, some of you will find that you are, some will find that you aren't. First thing you might do is you start to worry. Start to get scared. Start to, oh no, things are bad, they're terrible. This is what Jesus had to say about worry. Luke chapter 12 Verse 25 and 26, page 723, if you want to read about it in, those, uh, in the Bibles we gave out. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? See, worry is of no value. It wastes my creativity. It wastes my imagination. And Jesus said, if you can't add time to your life by worrying, then why do you worry about anything? Wouldn't it be cool, though, if you could add time? We would all live really, really old. I mean, if I could live longer by worrying, I mean, wouldn't we all walk around worrying all the time? Of course. What are you doing? I'm living longer. I'm going to live longer. All i got to do is worry. I've never met a person who came to me with a problem. And, and I said, okay, here's what you got to do. If you worry more, you might get through this. If you go home and you just worry and tell your spouse so he or she can worry. So y'all can worry together. And it, Nobody's ever said, I got through that through worrying. If it were not for worry, I wouldn't have gotten through it. That's how I kept my job. That's how we were able to finally pay the bills. We worried our way through it. And oh God, thank you for this gift of worry. And Jesus is saying, you're wasting your imagination. You're wasting time. Worry is nothing more than trying to control the future. And then when you find out that you can't, that brings on anxiety. So there's more worry. And Jesus said, don't worry, I got the essentials taken care of. And all that producing wealth, I'll give you that ability, you just go out and do it. That's okay. When I trust in the provision more than the provider, I could worry. Another thing that happens when I trust in the provision more than the provider, I get greedy. See, greed is the preoccupation with things. With just wanting that next thing. Thinking that next thing will fill me up because hey, it's for me. That's what greed is. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of stuff. In fact, some of the most godly people in the Bible were wealthy people. So can you be wealthy and godly? Obviously you can. And I've seen many, many people be godly, wealthy people. So how do you know if you're greedy? How do you, are, am I being greedy by saving some money? Am I being greedy because I, I, wanna, I would like to attain another level of income? No, all that does not mean that you're greedy. Here's a good greed test. Write a bigger check. That's it. It got silent last service when I said that. <laughs> I'm serious. Write, add a zero onto that check. Give a little more away. And that'll, you'll, it'll test you. 
I mean, I've tri- I tried it, okay? I just wanted to make sure. Am I greedy? So, I, I mean, I, I've done this a long time ago. Okay, am I greedy? I'm going to write a bigger check and see if it hurts. I'm going to write a bit bigger check and see if I resent it. If you think you're not greedy, go home today and add a zero or write a bigger check. That'll tell you really fast if you're greedy or not. Greed and selfishness go hand in hand. There's a guy in Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells this story found in Luke chapter 12, and it says this. It's coming. There we go. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And Jesus goes on to tell this story about a man who was already rich, who got more stuff, more money, and thought, I got nowhere to put this. I've got so much, there's not a bank on earth big enough to hold it. I'm going to build another one. And so he builds another place to store his wealth. And then he thinks, you know what, I got so much, I can just kick back, enjoy life be fat and happy, life's going to be great. And Jesus says, you are a fool. People who do that are a fool. That's what, I'm not saying that. That's what Jesus said. He said to this guy, this story about this guy, tonight you will die. Your life is going to end. And now what's going to become of all this stuff you stored up for yourself? What's going to happen to it? Jesus did not, did not and never does condemn having wealth. What he condemned is being wealthy but not rich towards God. That's what Jesus condemns 100% of the time. That is greed. That's not what Donnie says. That's not what LifePoint says. That's what Jesus Christ says. If I'm wealthy and I'm not generous, Jesus says, you're a fool. When I trust in the provision more than the provider, I'm never content. Don't you think if we bottled up uh, contentment and sold it in little pills, wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, people would buy it, wouldn't they? I mean, everybody wants to be content. Nobody thinks, I want to live a discontent life. I don't want to be happy. I want to just chase the Cheerio. That's all I want to do. Nobody thinks like that. Everybody wants to be content. Jesus Christ, or God, through Scripture, tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, clearly, if you want to have contentment, here it is. This is on page 824 if you're looking it up in those Bibles. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take nothing out of it when we leave. leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. No baby ever showed up saying, okay, I'm here, you know. Here's my stuff. Where do I put it? They got nothing. I mean, I saw both of, both of mine born, and they showed up with nothing but attitude, you know, one of them especially. So they had nothing. They didn't have pockets. They didn't, you know, say, here's my bank account. No, they showed up zero. And I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It doesn't work that way. Nothing goes with us. So we leave the same way we came. So if we want to be content, that contentment has to be combined with godliness. And if you want to be wealthy, just listen to what the Scripture says. If you combine godliness and contentment, you will have true wealth. When I trust in things, I'm never full. In fact, when I start to trust in things, when I start to trust in that next cheerio, I start to think I deserve it. Well, I deserve this. Come on, I deserve it. I work hard, so I, 
I deserve to go hopelessly and helplessly in debt because I just deserve it. I mean, don't, don't people get that way? Don't we get that way? We think, I work hard, so I deserve it. And then I end up living beyond my means, and nobody was ever meant to live beyond their means because if you're living beyond your means and there's more, there's more outgo than income, you will never experience the full life that Jesus Christ calls us all to live and offers to every person. God's provision was never meant to fill me up and to satisfy me. And you can go for all you want. You can be godly and wealthy, but that wealth never, ever was designed to fill you up. And it won't. So you can add 10 times, 100 times, a million times. You're not going to get full because that's not what it's all about. When I trust in the provision more than the provider, I make stupid mistakes. Anybody in here, by a show of hands, made a stupid mistake? Mine's up first. Okay. So we're, okay, so we're all this together. We all get it. Now, we all made... We've all made stupid mistakes. Here's the thing about stupid mistakes. When I'm making the decision, I don't think it's stupid. It seems like the right thing to do at the time, doesn't it? It feels right. I mean, we've been wanting to buy something, and then God sends this credit card with 0% interest for the next six months. How much more clear could God be? Honey, let's go to the mall. I mean, really? And it seems like the right thing to do over and over and over again, and then you end up in crazy amounts of debt, paying minimum balances and thinking, well, that seemed like the right thing to do way back there. Okay, honey, let's, let's buy a house. So you go to a mortgage broker who 99% are great people, and there's probably mortgage brokers in here, and there was last service. I'm not bashing mortgage brokers. But we go to ours, the first, second house we bought, and he writes down how much we can afford. And I was like, you've got to be kidding oh yeah, this is the level of house you need to look for, ratios and all that stuff. And I was like, come on. I would like to eat. You know, I would enjoy putting gas in my car and going on some trips. We'd like to have some babies. You know, not just this house. And then he throws this other idea at me. Well, you only have to pay the interest. You know, you get the interest thing, that only. And I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. So pay for this, but I never own it. Okay, got it. So, uh, yeah. So, so how did we get here? We got here because we begin to trust in the provider, the provision more than the provider of what we have and think we deserve it and we got to have more. And then when that happens, we start to make stupid, stupid mistakes. And then we look up from consuming our Cheerios and all of a sudden it's like, how did we get to where we can't afford this? How did we get to where if, if I do lose my job, that we'll be sunk We'll be going under because, because we've got so much going out and not enough coming in anymore. And God says, if you would just trust in me as your provider, the provision will take care of itself. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says this. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Now, is that not one of the most encouraging verses you've ever read in Scripture? What that says is there are times when I think something is right, when I feel it with all my heart and I just know it, but really, it's the wrong thing to do. It's easier to discern when you have your trust in the right place. God's promised us the basics, food, clothing, and shelter. We never have to really worry about that because he promises that we're going to have that. And maybe you've done all that you're supposed to do. 
Maybe you've, you've not trusted in the provision more. Maybe you completely trust in God, and you don't worry, and you're not greedy, and you're content, and you haven't made a stupid mistake in forever. And yet, you're still sitting at home thinking, how are we going to pay these bills because of someone else's stupid mistake? I've now lost my job because someone won't pay me. Now I'm in trouble. This is the time to trust in God. This is the time to put Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 on your dashboard and where it says trust in God with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will straighten your paths. That's the time to do it. So that none of that may have applied to you. You may, have not, may not be dealing with any of that. But that's the time to trust in God because He is the provider. And when I transfer my trust off of those things, and I transfer it onto him as the provider, my attitude starts to change. When we were putting this series together, I thought, okay, we're not just going to talk about what's going on, money and income and all that, and jobs are on everybody's mind. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not just have a talk about it and say, okay, here's how we got here. Now we'll see you next week. You know, have a great week and just, you know, hope you do well with that stuff. You know, I, we got to do something. Because people who are part of the body of Christ, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here since the first day, we're supposed to be different, right? I mean, we're not supposed to be like everybody else. I mean, the Bible even calls us aliens, weirdos. I mean, people who follow Christ look strange to everybody else because of the way we interact and react to things. So if, if we're going to have a series called In God We Trust? question mark, and we're going to help people put their trust where it needs to be, then maybe we need to act like what God expects, how God expects us to act. So we came up with a couple of ideas because I know there's people that you're sitting here saying, yeah, Donnie, that sounds great. And I hear all that scripture, but I, got, I need a job. I, I, I got I to gotta make money to pay my bills, to feed my family, to make sure I don't lose my house. Of course, that makes perfect sense. So, because, so you don't leave thinking, okay, thanks, but what do I do next? There's a couple things that I want. Everybody's got to know about this. All of you can participate in this, even if you're here for the first time. On our website, if you go to lifepointchurch.com, it's on the back of your program. If you want to know how to spell it exact, lifepointchurch.com. Click on LifePoint Online Community. It's a little blue tab at the end of the, at the bottom of the page. Our, our internet's not working here today, so um, I'm just going to kind of guide you through this verbally. If you have any questions, come talk to me. Go by the info booth and pick up that online community form. But if you go to the online community, and when you get on there, if you don't have a, a login, get, they'll, we'll generate one for you. Just request one, and you'll get it real soon. If you've already got one, you're good to go. When you, when you log on to that, on the right-hand side, there's uh, just a tab that says entire church list or group. Not say I can't remember, but one of those two things, okay? First one on the right-hand side as you go down the page. If you click on that, there's going to be three things there for everybody to participate in. The first one is, got work. People come up to me pretty regularly lately and say, hey, our company's hiring this many people. Do you know anybody? Hey, we need this many of this, whether it's from labor to professional to white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter. I mean, people tell us about everything. So you can go on there. If you know your company's hiring people or have jobs coming up, list it and put your contact information on there. 
And then people that are part of our church that want to get on there and look and go, wow, here's like 20 jobs. I mean, there's one on there right now that's several, there's several positions being hired to do something. So go take a look at it. And we monitor it to make sure there's nothing inappropriate on there. We just ask that you don't put multi-level marketing on there. Not that it's evil, but I don't believe that's the place for it. You know, you can network in other ways. So go on there if you know of anything and click on that where it says, got work. Need work? Put your resume on there. Put a link to your resume. Put, put something about yourself or, or some way to find out more about yourself, your contact information, your skills. Put that on there. And then people who are looking for at our church that are looking for employees, they can find you right there. Just another way for us to network. And if you own your own business or, or provide a service, then go to the LifePoint. It says LifePoint Business Directory. List that on there. There's already some things listed on there over the past few days. And we're doing that because it's not just something to talk about. It's something to do. We're supposed to be different. We don't just come to church on Sunday to hear some cool music, watch a video, and hear a message and go to lunch. It's to change our lives. It's to interact with people and build deep relationships and make people look and go, man, what a, this doesn't seem to be bothering this person. And, and then you have an opportunity to say, because my trust is not in this stuff. My trust is somewhere else. And I know what the temptations are because people have dealt with this forever. In the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, he was one of the prophets. They call him the minor prophets because just because it's shorter. This guy Habakkuk did something a little bit different from the other prophets. Most prophets just talked on behalf of God to people. And Habakkuk talked on behalf of people to God. And these Israelites that I read about when I first started talking were already in the promised land. They'd already been divided into tribes, and the tribe of Judah from the Israelites were going through a difficult economic time. Things were tough. Crops were not producing. Herds were not producing. Things were not going well. They were scared. They were beginning to trust in all that stuff that God had provided, just like he asked them not to. And listen what Habakkuk says thousands of years ago to people who were dealing with an economy that was down. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. Now let's read this out loud together. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. That says it all. Let's pray. God, when we wonder how we got here, it's easy to see that when we put our trust in things you've provided for us rather than in you, it's easy to get off track. And God, for every person who sits here feeling lost today, wondering how they got there. I pray that you would let today 
be that second chance, third chance, however many chances they need to turn it around and say, God, I trust in you. I'm no longer going to put my trust in anything else, especially what you provide. God, thank you for the provision you've given us. Thank you for the, the wealth that we all have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we're going to be talking about not how we got here, but how do we get out and some concrete steps on how to get out and what God has to say about it. Every week at LifePoint, we give you an opportunity to be generous. And generosity for the person who follows Christ is not an obligation. It's a privilege to be generous and give back to God part of what he's blessed us with. It's how we do what we do. By your tithes, your offerings, and you practicing generosity, it's the way that LifePoint is able to, to do what you see us do week in and week out and make a difference in the world where people desperately need our help and need to hear the good news of Christ. So every penny that you ever give goes to truly make a difference in a dark place. If you're here for the first time and you want to participate in this time of generosity, please feel free to do so. You're welcome to do that. If you're not comfortable with that, just let that bucket pass you by. So now as the band plays and the ushers come down and go up the aisles, you have an opportunity to bring back part of what God has blessed you with. Let me pray for this offering. God, thank you for the great blessings that we all have, even in the middle of uh, when things can be unsure, one thing we can be sure of is you. And God, even though it, it, it may not always make sense to us, we're going to always give back to you because you've blessed us with everything we have. And we pray this in Jesus' name.